You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our hearty helping of Archeo Soup. Hello, uh, Beth and Reese. How's it going? Not too bad. Very well, thank you, Mike. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Well, today we are meeting to discuss something which has disgusted... Uh, see what I did there, Bethany, um, quite a lot. You actually posted a news article the other day uh, with regards to, was it the, the, the valuing of archaeology? And uh, what, what's, what's this all about? Um, it was about the recent Anglo-Saxon coin hoard that was discovered. And I shared it because, um, well, the article that I shared was from the Daily Mail. And the headline for it was... Um, Amateur treasure hunter finds one million pound hoard of 1,000-year-old Anglo-Saxon coins. Mm. And then after that, it adds, after a whip round of petrol to get there. So already it's kind of adding this emphasis on, oh, wow, look how much money this guy is going to earn off this amazing discovery. And I also shared it because there's this huge debate about amateur archaeologists and treasure hunters. I thought it would make for quite interesting debate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I read through it, and I know there was just little bits and pieces that kind of kind of annoyed me. Um, one of the biggest things was the f- the fact that they had immediately said that this hoard is worth one million pound, possibly more. Mm. And further down in the article, I have a quote here that said, "Finders could be in for a hefty windfall if coins are declared treasure." And it, it just kind of infuriated me because this is one of the, the biggest Anglo-Saxon hoards ever found in Britain. Mm-hmm. And this article was published on the 1st of January. The hoard was found at the end of December, just before Christmas. And it, it just kind of infuriated me that the media are already putting a price on a, an amazing piece of heritage and rather before talking about you know, its significance and its place in history. Mm. And, you know, just just got a bit infuriated, but I thought it would make for interesting debate amongst other people. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting the, the sense that you were infuriated then. Um, <laughs> well, in that, in that sense, uh, this is actually, uh, this has always been an issue, I suppose, in archaeology, especially in places like Britain. Uh, we, we, we've, we've got a, long and some would say proud tradition of Sunday Sunday afternoon archaeologists right away from the early days of archaeology as a, as a, as a, as a uh, discipline people like Vickers for example going and digging a barrow in an afternoon or something all the way through to as you say right at the end of last year someone finding this hoard with with a, a metal detector uh, now some, I, I do see what you, what you mean. One thing that bothers me is that I've seen, I saw recently, um, there was a, a metal detector on sale, oddly enough, I think in, in a pound shop, uh, which isn't great, and it was called Treasure Finder. 
It wasn't called a metal detector, it's called a treasure finder. Now, uh, what's your take on this, Reese? Do you think this is perfectly okay? Do you think actually, well, why not? You know, this should be like the lottery. If someone can find it, then good on them. Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, is that that story hit um, the ABC, which is Australia's version of the BBC, and they said the exact same thing, that this was worth a million pounds, um, that this bloke had just gone out into a field and um, uh, basically, yeah, dug it up. And um, what, what the curious thing to, to myself was is that they didn't call the archaeologists until they pulled out all the coins, obviously taking away the context of um, what we had found there, which was, in fact, a, as far as we can tell, was a lead-lined um, pot or something along those lines. But the point is, is that now we don't actually, you know, since the archaeologists didn't bring it up, we don't have that information. Uh, that's part of it. The other part is um, this goes to do um, into dealing with um, who owns heritage. Now, this, as far as um, what I've been able to pick up from the media, they've suggested that the man who found uh, the hoard, along with the man who owns the property with the hoard was found on, will be able to split the money um, for selling um, said, said treasure. Um, I personally don't believe laws should be reflecting this kind of, of um, monetizing of uh, heritage. Uh, what happens when you find something that's, you know, practically worthless money-wise, but um, extremely uh, worthwhile to do with archaeology. For example, um, a, a buried megalithic site similar to Stonehenge. Oh, we, 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 we can't pocket that. We can't take that home. Um, so we, we're just going to, you know, leave it here. We're not going to touch it, whatever. It's, it's, it's just really um, bad that you can that laws like that exist, that, that basically encourage people to go out and try their luck. Ah, no, but, th th but this, this is a common misconception that really actually bothers me when it comes to you foreigners. Um, <laughs> no, 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 so that, that, that is the, the idea that somehow in Britain, by having things like the Portable Antiquity Scheme, that we're actually encouraging looting. This stuff happens anyway. I mean, in, it in Italy and in Greece, for example, it is flat out illegal to go and dig on a site uh, if you're not an archaeologist, and especially to sell the things that you find. But it happens every day in those countries, even though it is illegal. Legislating against uh, casual discoveries and casual, in that sense, monetization of archaeology doesn't work. And, and I suppose what, what, what we've done here is we've, made, we've given them a route by which we don't lose all the context and the site information, but the people who do the finding and the people who own the land are still able to, to, to benefit in the same way that they might, or in a similar way to which they might if they sold it simply into a black market. I mean, surely that's got to be worthwhile. Well, that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? But I would say that, that um, people speed still as well, Mark, but you don't see them changing the law to make casual speeding um, um, perfectly all right. Uh, no, my, my, my concern is that um, even though they may do this in um, countries like Greece and Italy where, where it's, it's flat out illegal, it should be discouraged. That's the point. It needs to be discouraged. It needs to be pointed out that um, as, as I mean, we're calling these people treasure hunters. That's that, that's not entirely correct. I mean, they are, um, as far as I can tell, a weekend 
group that goes around with metal detectors. And the groups like that exist um, not only in Britain, but uh, also in Australia and other places. Admittedly, they look for gold, gold here rather than artifacts. But um, the one of the um, major concerns I have is that what you're suggesting is that these people go out and they find sites or refine sites. Um, what, what happens if it's a registered site and they just don't know about it and then they decide, oh, we're going to start plopping holes in here, there and everywhere rather than discovering a new site? Well, to, to be fair, if it's a registered site, then uh, that's the reason why the registry exists. The people who do the random digging will be prosecuted for doing that. So that that's that's not that is can be a problem. For example, as we saw last year at Offers Dyke, where a whole portion was destroyed by a local landowner, um, and in that instance, that's unfortunately he wasn't prosecuted because he claimed ignorance. But uh, but but the point is, is that that's part of the reason why the register is there, is so that people can't get away with that. You can't wander into Stonehenge and go, oh, I didn't know it was here, and look, I found a, a hoard of silver coins. Um, but uh, I don't know, Be Bethany, you live in a landscape um, further along Hadrian's Wall than me, which is just crammed with potential in this respect. Do you not think that, that having a metal detector make a discovery when possibly there's not not all that much money in archaeological research at the moment um, might be a way of filling in some of the blanks in that landscape? I would say no, and that's personally because half the, well, at least a couple of the sites here are listed and you cannot do anything on them. You can walk across them and that's it. And not every not all of the sites here are known or very little is known about them and i would personally i would feel quite awful if i went in with a metal detector and was like all oh, right well i know that there's something here i'm going to see what i can find um, it would make me feel quite hypocritical because <laughs> it goes against everything that i stand for in archaeology i just i don't think that just randomly going out and saying, oh, I think there's a village here, therefore I'm gonna go out and see what I can find on a metal detector. I think that that's wrong because certain procedures have to be put in place first. With any form of excavation or survey, there's all, always certain steps and methods that you have to go through. Um, it's, well, we, we, I'm sure that we all know that people use metal detectors on excavations mm -hmm. they're quite helpful for say looking through spoil heaps making sure nothing has been missed but not just saying oh there's a random spot here i'm gonna dig it that's for me i don't think that that is at all what this should be used for so is, is that is that is that what what the objection is then is the fact that the this is unstructured discovery and therefore possible vandalism of a site. It's not so much that people are valuing archaeology or, or, or these two different issues now, uh, that the public seems to want to know how much something is worth in the news and that also metal detectorists um, are seen as sort of heroes despite just r seemingly just sort of truffle hunting in archaeological landscapes. Yeah, no. we are starting to... Yeah, deal. no, oh. Some deal with separate issues here. Mm hmm. Okay. Yeah. Just, I just found another quote in, in that article mm -hmm. uh, from the Daily Mail um, where uh, it says uh, the guy that found the hoard says that he'd been digging for about 20 minutes and hadn't found anything. And 
he said, my hands hit something hard and I found some lead and I immediately thought this has been a waste of time. And I think it's because we seem to find this kind of attitude with amateurs and treasure hunters towards archaeology. If it's not if it's not gold and really shiny, then it's not worth anything and it's a complete waste of time. Mm. And then we have to deal with the issue after they found these items of um, putting a price on it, mm. which is... You know, information, often information that members of the public are quite interested in knowing. It's just the way that people, some, some uh, people in society seem to think. But yeah, I think we are dealing with two separate issues, but one immediately leads on to another. Okay, so they're linked. I mean, you said uh, you seem to, to have a different opinion there, Reese. What, what, what were you saying there? Well, I think it's hypocritical for countries like. Britain, Australia, uh, New Zealand, and anybody in the United Nations to go, well, um, plundering plundering heritage for um, to make quick money um, is a very, very bad thing. So you over there in uh, in Belize and you over there in Ecuador, stop, stop digging these things up and um, selling them to private collections. But oh, over here, this guy's just found a million uh, pounds worth of, uh, of um, Anglo-Saxon silver. They'll make five hundred thousand pounds off of that. But um, what what we're saying to these people who live in these uh, poorer uh, countries, who make far far less off of pillaging um, their their heritage, is that it's okay to do it there, but it's not okay for you to do it here. Mm. Now, that's hypocritical to begin with, but also. Um, if you, if you know a little bit about the black market, middlemen exorbitantly put up the price once these things have been found. So the initial, um, the the actual entire cost of um, most artifacts found in the, um, these third world countries, in fact, the people only get about 1% of any kind of profit. Mm -hmm. But this guy is getting 50% of something that he just decided to take a Sunday walk on. I, I don't particularly think that's right. Legally, I don't think that is right finders keepers this mentality that if i find something on somebody's property um then if they get 50 percent of it then that's that's perfectly fine okay. that does not belong to them it belongs to the people of britain as an entirety mm -hmm. right okay. and and museums going out and buying these kinds of things off of um private citizens um after making such a blatant discovery um is is also wrong i think um Sometimes there's there's um, museums buying things in perpetuity, uh, where they sometimes their history can't cannot be found, but you know that they've done exorbitant amounts of research and work to try and figure out where this stuff is, so they know that well, it comes. This from is it. this is true. This is all well and good, but ultimately, without such systems like this, the Staffordshire hoard, for example, from a couple of years ago would not be in a museum. It would be somewhere probably in China or in the US. It would not be available to the to, to the, the public and it certainly wouldn't be in, I think, I believe most of it is still in Birmingham. Um, people, I mean, my wife actually, uh, Mrs. Soup, actually queued around the block because uh, she was down there for a meeting to see some of this stuff, but still had the mud on it. They hadn't cleaned it yet. Those opportunities have only come about because of this, of this, this system in Britain. The digging happens anyway. But also as well, something else that, that, that comes to mind is I've, I've, there were some really good journals on um, on the black market, as it were, and archaeology. And 
some of the articles in those journals talk about what's called subsistence digging. Uh, the idea that people in far-flung countries or in, in, in on far-flung sites, say in, you know, in, the, in a very rural area in Egypt, can and should be allowed to subsist on digging if they're given so a little bit of training, a little bit of contextual knowledge, and then given the opportunity to sell that stuff in a way which they benefit from. So as you say, they're not they're no longer getting just one percent, but the but the authorities are still benefiting from those discoveries. Almost almost like a potato farmer. Well, now I know this this is not structured archaeological research, but maybe we need to structure the way that this this um, this illicit archaeology is done. That is true, but they also say things like that um, selling those artefacts, that's not where it should go. The subsistence, um, the way they talk about it, they also say that it should stay in the local area, that um, this kind of stuff should be put into museums in that local area, and it's been proven to pay over tenfold back into the economy. There's been proved there's plenty of um, case studies in South America, in fact, where people were trained uh, in basic archaeology, um, and they do they do have what they call um, travelling archaeologists from time to time who come through the area to help out. But the point is, is that. Um, they created a museum in uh, a small town in um, Argentina, I think, and where they where they made next to no uh, uh, funds whatsoever. And as soon as they set up this small museum and started showing this heritage, they started getting uh, thousands of people going through their town. And now it's um, uh, quite a tourist attraction over there to, to go do that. So what what I am saying there is that there is an ethical approach to all of this. I understand that you can't just blanket ban everything and then say, okay, that stopped it. That's like trying to, um, like what they're doing in America at the moment, uh, trying to ban marijuana and, um, uh, and they realize it's not working, a blanket ban. So they're gonna have to um, somehow uh, come up with an alternative. However, I don't think it's up to the um, metal detectorists to actually work out the alternative. It's for archaeologists to work out where the ethical uh, lines lie, not not these, um, as you call them, Sunday walkers um, doing their own surveys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If, if, if archaeologists would, um, I suppose they're their own nightmare again in this, would say, okay, there's a whole bunch of land here that hasn't been surveyed. If you are a metal detectorist and you're interested in coming down and doing some digging, um, have at it. This whole area, go for it. Um, and I think I think that's a far more um, legitimate way about going about these things. It's far uh, it's far more useful for everybody involved. But here's the interesting thing: what happens when you start telling metal detectorists that they're not going to own or be able to? Um, make an income from anything that they find. <clears throat> well, 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 well but the problem is though, you can't do that. We cannot do that. That cannot be done. We can't shut down eBay. We can't shut down private an antique shops and stop them buying this stuff. If we say to a metal detectorist, you're not going to make any money in any legal way off this stuff, we'll just stop knowing about what they're finding. They'll just find it in the middle of the night, take it away, 
and sell it to someone and we'll never know it even existed. Um, it, the best case scenario is that this stuff stops completely and then just the rate of discoveries and site discoveries actually in Britain slows quite dramatically, especially in a time when uh, uh, public archaeological projects are dwindling because of a lack of funding. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is we just never hear about this stuff ever again and, and people will be constantly finding it. But, but to, to, go, to go back to the point about putting a price on archaeology though, um, finally I suppose, what would you like to see happen Bethany when it comes to, to headlines like this, when it comes to say a million pound hoard found in Kent for example, uh, what would you like to, to see in future, what, what would be the best outcome? Hmm. It's quite a, a difficult thing because the, the price, that whatever, how much something is worth, the price is inevitably going to be in an article. It, it, it's the media and they will, you know, share any information that is going to be of interest to members of the public. Um, I think it's not necessarily, not at all mentioning how much something is worth, but not having that as the first thing that you see in a headline. Um, for example, if it had just been amateur treasure hunter finds hoard of 1,000 Anglo-Saxon coins and then maybe as a sub-header or in the first section of an article mention how much it could be worth rather than putting a static price on it mm. and not having any room for negotiation. Um, because after, in the Daily Mail, after they've done this headline, they have um, a few bullet points um, which seem to sum up the article and I think that maybe adding the the price of that hoard should be in that section rather than at the very top of the article where everyone can see. I just think it's, um, you know, given the, given the wrong message about what, why people, um, or what, at least why archaeologists would want to find these things. Okay. Well, I, I, remember, I remember as a child watching a program called The Antiques Road Show which uh, I think they have an Australian version as well. Is that right, I think, yeah? Uh, we, we get the British version, but oh. um, I think they have started doing it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I remember watching it with my, with some of my grandparents, and um, I was always astonished by all they ever wanted to know was the price at the end. So there'd be this lovely little discussion about what the item is, and they'd go, well, how much is it worth? And when it was worth £40,000, oh, that's lovely. Um, but when it wasn't, when it was worth like only 50p, it would just be, it would have been, you know, what? oh, we might as well just throw that stuff away. Uh, and for my part, I suppose I'd like to see, try and see a, a, a general move away from um, this, 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 desire to I suppose get a windfall from the stuff in your attic or the stuff that you find when you're when you're metal detecting. Uh, I, I think people will always want that. People always, for example, they still approach archaeologists on, on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis on digs and say have you found anything valuable. Um, but it'd be nice to, I suppose just to see a bit more public education about actually what the real value of this stuff is and the stories for example behind it. Um, and then, I suppose finally, Reese, what 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 are your thoughts on this this issue? Uh, pretty much the same as they've always been. Um, monetizing archaeology is like monetizing information. It's information that is free for everybody and it belongs to everybody. Um, I don't personally believe that people should be legally able to go out and excavate 
um, areas, especially areas that do not belong to them, um, for the sole purpose of finding um, heritage artifacts, especially without um, some sort of register being set up. Um, my, my recommendation would be uh, to start registering um, metal detectors and metal detectorists. I know that is probably it's probably a very different scenario in Britain than it is in Australia, but over here they have um, quite they're, they're almost as strict on metal detectors as they are on guns over here, where you have to fill out you have to have a license, um, and you are only allowed to do it in very particular areas, and anything that you do find must be registered. Um, because then the government can tax you on it. But um, the point is is that um, anything of historical significance um, would automatically belong to the uh, state or federal government, um, not to the individual. As you said, though, Mark, um, these people will then go hide it, but it's far easier to nail down who's hiding what they've found when... You don't, when you know how many metal detectorists are out there and who's got what. Mm -hmm. So I think there is, a, yeah, a, um, there is a way of legislating this and bringing that kind of thing to an end. Mm -hmm. um, I, think it's, I think it's just going to be the people saying, well, you're stopping my, my freedom to do this. Well, it's not a freedom to go around and steal other people's heritage. We've been doing that for a long, long time. And... Um, it's, it's just got to stop. Okay, okay. Well, uh, this has been quite an interesting conversation. Uh, thank you both for turning up. And, um, well, as ever, until next time, everyone out there, uh, do take care. If you have any thoughts or questions or comments, do comment below, and we'll do our very best to respond to you. Uh, I'm sure that there'll be some fairly strong opinions on this one. Um, grand, well, as ever, as I say, ta-ra. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.